don't know, it just gives me warm fuzzies. Hysteria, a podcast about women and non-binary creatives and their experiences creating and consuming arts and culture. I'm Steph Van Schilt. And I'm Ronnie Sullivan. This episode, we were lucky enough to be joined by model, photographer and body positivity activist, Laura Juve. Laura is a multi-field creative whose portfolio spans photography, videography, makeup artistry and her work as a plus-size model and influencer. Through her work, she strives to capture and style with her LGBTQIA plus community at the forefront of her mind, as well as her activism around positive body image and fat acceptance. Laura continues to strive towards creating more accepting spaces online and offline through her continuing push for more queer, curvy and fat bodies in fashion and in media. So in today's episode, I'm not going to be involved. You won't hear my voice anymore past this point, so you're welcome. Instead, we enticed our wonderful producer, Jessica Lucchiano, to step out from behind the mic and fill in my hosting shoes. Ronnie, was it fun? It was amazing, but you can hear for yourselves. We started off by asking Laura how her amazing career got started. It's this really strange thing where I feel like I had these two parallel kind of worlds happening, like my real life and then my online life. And so I've always been a blogger and I've always been interested in like a blogging medium. I had LiveJournal when I was 14, Tumblr and MySpace, Mm -hmm. and I've like had it all and have always had very strong sense of like community through there because I wasn't always open about my queerness. My first queer friends were on online. I think that's sort of where it all began. My dad's very interested in photography, so I always would kind of watch him take a million photos of family functions and see how bored everyone else was. But I was like, actually, I kind of want to just like take the camera, (laughs) take more close up, more interesting photos rather than the classic family portrait for Christmas, you know? (laughs) Or like the eating family portrait. Oh yeah, that one's really good. We have something in our family called the Juve Blink, which uh, there's always at least one or two people in the photo who have blinked that year. (laughs) Um, I can say I've never actually been the blinker, so... Maybe that's just uh, a natural. I'm sure there's like an app you can get where it makes it creepily open your <laughs> oh, yeah. eyes. If it oh, yeah, there is blinked. now, but this is like back in the day. True, back in the day. Yeah. It was different. But yeah, I guess it kind of all started off there. To find community, I kind of would go onto Tumblr or LiveJournal mm-hmm. and make these really strong connections with other queer women, usually not in Australia. Most of my online friends were in London or in the US. And I was a very shy, very quiet kind of, I was an emo, I was a freak. I had blonde hair at the time. And so I kind of hung out with all the emos and the punks. We were always called the lesbians, except for me. I wasn't a lesbian because I had blonde hair. (laughs) Of course. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I was like, jokes on you, I'm the gayest one. (laughs) And then through that, I sort of found a lot of like body positivity communities um, around, would have been like 2011, 2012. I was really reluctant and resistant at first like I remember seeing photos of other fat women on blogging websites and being like ah what are you doing like you look horrible and then I realized it was my own internalized shit and Mm. would over the next few years kind of reflect a lot around my own body and what fat people can and can't wear and like those sort of rules Mm. that society tells us not available for fat women and so I thought about how I wanted to dress versus how I was currently dressing and what options were available to me and through that I guess I 
started experimenting. I was buying all of my clothes online anyway. The struggle is Yeah, painful. it's exhausting. And like we have City Chic and they're like, this is for the young fatties. Yeah. And you're like, I'm not into a plebum top. Like, don't give me more options. <laughs> you know, like I'm a fashion forward kind of gal. So I guess I was kind of looking for that. I was wanting to see that more like high-end fashion sort of looks for bigger bodies. Through that, I kind of discovered some bloggers like Gabby Fresh and like mm. Nicolette Mason who have now gone on and started Prem, which is this amazing fashion forward plus size line. And Instagram took off as well. And so it kind of was this really, I was in this in-between space between social media platforms as mm. you've got to be. I posted a selfie of me wearing Hopeless Lingerie, mm. um, which is a Melbourne-based lingerie brand who I actually went to high school with the sister of the owner. I've known about this brand since 2008 and was like, this is beautiful, but I never see anyone over a size 10 wear it. So I just kind of took some selfies, was feeling myself because I got a set and posted it on Tumblr and it went off. Like it went viral, got something like 20,000 reposts, all this sort of stuff happened. And I was just really like blown away by the support. And it was really exciting and like conflicting because I still was processing a lot of my own body stuff. Mm. Did that help having Definitely, been really positive? Of yeah. course. Like I mean when it's other like women who have were seeing themselves reflected, it was suddenly like, oh shit, people mm. see themselves in me and that's not something I ever thought about because I had never seen anyone like me mm. in Melbourne at least dressed the way I do do the things I do. But I guess being queer as well, I was already sort of out of the box already I might as well just keep pushing the envelope mm. to see what happens because no one's going to really say shit and if they do I'm already a freak so it's fine <laughs> and I don't really care that much because as long as it makes me happy and it doesn't hurt anyone else mm. it's fine I guess that's sort of like where it all started and photography kind of I just remember being frustrated that no one was asking to take my photo mm. <laughs> when I was 17, 18. I was always the designated photographer. Mm. I was always the designated fat best friend who would mm. like take all the photos. And so when I started realizing that no one wanted to take my photo, I was like, well, I guess I'll take my own photo and kind of just like moved from there. I read a lot of this kind of conversation around authenticity, mm. like believing in yourself. And even just in that example, you talk a lot about finding something in yourself to just to be real and be vulnerable and mm. this like layer of honesty that I think is actually really hard. Did you always kind of have that? Like how did that come out in you? Or do you think it was always kind of there and maybe just yeah. had layers on top of it? Like where where did the authenticity come from? And then how do you keep it going? Like uh, how, how aren't it's... you terrified when you... <laughs> I am terrified. I am absolutely shitting myself. Like mm. I have anxiety all the time. So, like, I'll post, like, mostly it's because it's this really conflicting thing now where I know what is going to get more engagement and likes and all that mm. sort of stuff. So I'm a bit more thoughtful about it now, but also at the same time, especially this week, I've been like, fuck it, I'm just posting whatever I want. I don't want to look at my insights. I don't want to look at the business end of this shit because I didn't start off to do it like this. So I've, I'm sort of in this really in-between place at the moment where I'm, like, conscious of what I'm posting, trying to curate what I post, but also doing it for the reasons I originally started doing it for, which is for myself, posting a cute selfie because I think I look cute. And that literally was the reason is a documentation for myself. So yeah, I, I don't think it's not that it's not hard. It definitely is. It's very daunting and scary, mm. <laughs> but 
I think the more I talk about it, the less like alone I feel because I know that other people are feeling this. I know it because I see so many posts on my feed talking about this stuff. And maybe it's because I'm centering around a lot of very emotionally intelligent people. And that's Mm. something that I really crave in my interactions with people is that kind of deep complexity of emotion. But I don't know. I think that's probably it. I think that's just that I really crave those sort of connections with people and that is sort of my way of opening up a conversation, even if it is a one-sided conversation that might, you know, inspire other people to think about that. You just mentioned then, like, not thinking too much about the insights, Mm. not thinking too much about the Mm. numbers. And you've been noticed, like, internationally, like, big brands see Mm. you and you're working with them and, like, you're on Refinery29. Like, (laughs) you're you're around, you know, your face is really visible now. Do you worry about or do you have any feelings about now that brands kind of see it as more mainstream, how you interact with that kind of stuff in not maybe like a tokenistic way? Like, do you think it's a good thing ultimately that brands like ASOS are now Mm. like, yeah, fat people are awesome Mm. when 10 years ago Mm. it was like moomoos or bust? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you feel about that? It's very conflicting because on the one end, we all need to be able to pay our bills and we need to be able to work with brands that we want to feel represented by. And then on the other hand, it's sort of like, are you going to be tokenizing me? Are you going to be making me actually feel not respected and appreciated for Mm -hmm. what I do? And I think it's, I have noticed in the past year, at least in the, like the bigger kind of influencer sort of overtake that has happened in the past year or so. I've noticed the way that businesses have changed and the way that they interact with me. A lot of the times they assume I'm going to do stuff for free and when Mm. I actually headbutt them back Mm. with saying no, that's not the way it goes. Why do they assume that? Like what's the benefit to you? (laughs) Because younger influencers are doing all their work for free Uh. because they don't know their worth. They don't know that they can actually charge the things that they are going to get free products? Is that Yeah, so it's usually like, oh, we just get gifts. That's great. And I'm like, cool, that's initially how I started off as well and then Mm. was like, hang on, they're wanting my (laughs) platform. Mm. Yeah, they're wanting my platform. They're wanting the engagement in the audience. So that costs something. Like Mm. (laughs) these are the – I don't want to just talk to my followers about – something that I don't care about but it's more I guess it's frustrating when like I've got to really like work for a simple setup for payment and things like that Mm. with social media because there just aren't any written rules and it is such a new way of engaging with people and business and all that Mm. sort of stuff and I'm not a particularly business-minded person either so it's like this really conflicting thing where I'm like cool I have all these amazing creative ideas And then kind of having to pull it back and be like, hang on, hang on, hang on. Don't do all this work for free because this is your job. This is part of your work now. Like, you know, I've got to be able to support myself. So it's very conflicting and hard Mm. to kind of navigate. And again, it comes down to specific brands. I find it's really interesting because I have a lot more... Most of my following is from the US. Secondary, it's Australia, but majority, it's the US. And I guess because of my like interactions with those brands that have seemed interested in me, I'm getting a little bit more traction here, but it's only because of the stuff I do in the States. So it's this really weird thing where it's like, now I'm getting a little bit more recognized by Australian media and all those sort of things, but they had no interest in me up until maybe mm. two years ago. And it's that really interesting thing where it's like, hmm... I wonder, like, is it the Australian culture here where it's like, have you made it yet? Are you enough? Is that tall poppy syndrome sort of thing? Because I have all these conversations with 
creative friends of mine all the time around American culture versus Australian culture and the way that we collaborate and the way we create and the way that we uh, support each other and support our Mm. friends through either creating music or just like, I guess, more any sort of creative field. Mm. So it's... I went off on a real tangent there, but no, no, <laughs> tangents on. are the best part. And <laughs> I think that like I was in the US last year and mm. I felt visibly so different as mm. a larger body. Mm. Like the way that they US want to know who you are. interactions. You know? Yeah. And they just I don't know, the fat culture mm. and the culture around what is and isn't beautiful and like the styling mm. and like the more complex fashion and it's a elements. Bigger city as yeah. well. Like there's more people. Yeah. So it's more spoken about. Whereas here we are such a smaller sort of place. We're also a, physically a younger country. So that's I think why we have this we're playing this weird catch up mm. with the US all the time is because anyone who's like, you know, under forty and on the internet it's pretty good with politics. It's pretty good with like figuring out what's going on in the world and having like a well-rounded, well-rounded sort of understanding of what's happening in the world. But it just seems that we are like, for example, marriage equality taking so mm. long to pass and where we are as like socially as a country versus the States. And yes, there's a lot of shit going on with the States at the moment. That's terrible. But for progressive issues, for example, trans rights or body a bit more of body acceptance, I suppose, and like people willing to back brands that that are wanting to go up to say mm. size thirty, size thirty two, that is something that I feel like Australia isn't ready for yet. Like it's getting there. It's a slow, bloody journey, but we're getting there. And I've like noticed change in the past year, but it's yeah, we've we've got a long way to go, and it's this weird bridge because we are all understanding what's going on, but then the old generation have, like, mm. are so far behind. You just have to look at our fucking government to see that. Yeah, so it's absolutely. just a real... It's Catch-22 the best way to describe mm. I don't know. It's, yeah. yeah. I'm really interested in Australia and in terms of, like, the fashion industry mm. and where that is at, like, where it's been in the past maybe mm. decade or so and whether things are changing, mm. what that looks like to you, like what you've sort of seen changing. I feel like I'm a bitter bitch about this but um which is fair <laughs> yeah because only because I am oversized 16 and I have tattoos um and because I, I feel like the Australian plus size industry has a lot of work to do and I'm going to be so brutally honest in this podcast but um please do <laughs> we have no sponsors to drop us it's Amazing. Fine. <laughs> um well yeah I I guess I have been around the plus size industry in Australia for maybe three or three years now and I did plus size fashion week in 2016 which was great and the second year they had done it they have done it because they didn't get any funding to do Mm. it the following years which is why they haven't done the last two years like even that is just fucking like 2016 yeah what (laughs) yeah and even then it was uh, I was seen as a street model rather than like a like a real model model. yeah and so I was yeah, I just remember talking to a particular woman who owns a particular curve model agency, <laughs> who I won't name. She, just the way that she would look at people, and I understand that's part of her job, but looking at the women, the curve models that she had hired, they all size 12 to 14, mm. all hourglass figures, all white bar one person. It just was not a true reflection of what 
society is in Australia and it was really frustrating and I just felt really disrespected and not seen for the work that I have done which was really frustrating but it was really great to be able to like meet all these other influencers and Mm. people who are in like the fat community and then the following year I ended up walking for Melbourne Fashion Week for a small indie punk brand and then I did vamp at the start of this year, which was also amazing. So I feel like the brands that I'm at least working with and that I'm wanting to promote are really amazing. Like the people who I walked for for vamp, they're called Remuse Designs. And Tamara is an amazing designer from New York originally, lives here now. And just like creates these really beautiful garments that are just like beautifully made with tie-dyes and all these natural sort of Mm. earthy tones and it's just very it's this beautiful kind of sensualness within like the linens that she uses Mm. and things like that so it's it's a brand that I love to like work with so to be asked to walk for that was phenomenal and she had three fat models in it as well so it wasn't just me which was nice so avoiding that tokenism that Jess is talking about before Mm. I'm usually the only plus model and in modeling agencies I have been a part of in the past I have been their tokenistic Mm. only plus size model who they don't really know how to dress and make me feel like a bit shit it's definitely I can see there's there's things changing and people are trying (laughs) which is something they get a cookie for trying I guess no we don't give our cookies here um yeah so I guess it's just yeah the the progress is needed and it's slowly slowly trickling in I think but it's going to take us a bit of time like Mm -hmm. you just look at I mean I know a lot of friends of mine who have walked to New York Fashion Week and so they're all um like there's all they're all different sizes they're all different races and genders and it's just like I'm so beyond happy for them to Mm. be getting these opportunities Mm. because they so deserve them and it's just kind of frustrating to see year in year out the same sort of models at Melbourne Fashion Week Mm. and you know like it's at least Vamp is a little bit more experimental in their independent runways but yeah Melbourne Fashion Week is definitely still behind on A lot of things, considering they think a curve model is a size 12. Well, and that's the problem, right, is like if a fashion week or a brand is going to get behind plus size models and Mm. and use that as part of their progressive Mm. um, bona fides, then they can't just have a white size 14, Mm. like Mm -hmm. the exact same, you know, it's perpetuating another beauty standard that's just replacing one that's already really toxic Mm. and harmful with something else that's still toxic and harmful. But I guess with smaller brands and like, especially like I just did an RMIT graduate runway as a favor for a friend and um, to see the diversity and as much as I hate that word, uh, (laughs) just seeing the inclusivity of these fashion lines that they had they had different ages they had different sizes they had different races different genders so it was just sort of like okay I'm seeing change but it's from the from the bottom yeah (laughs) which is good and important because they're going to take over one day definitely so that's comforting but it's just like all right I guess I'll wait another decade decade and then it will be so yeah I don't know it's it's a interesting time that we are in (laughs) you're obviously a photographer and you model and you have and you're an influencer like you sample a lot of pieces of the pie in your creative realm yeah and they're all quite visual have you would you ever consider doing designing yeah I have I actually was I started the niece program at the start of this year so I could start my small business and my original small business plan was to start a plus size line however (laughs) I didn't have the capital to start it Mm. so (laughs) instead and then I also like secondary to that I realized I'd have to stop doing photography and that's literally what gives me so much joy is like Mm 
the organizing of it, the shooting of it, the editing of it, like working with people, finding something about them that's interesting and engaging is so, I don't know, it just gives me warm fuzzies. And Love I, a warm I would, fuzzy. Yeah, and I don't want to <laughs> give that up. So I realized pretty quick that I'd, like, I was so excited about the ideas of lookbooks and like I have all these designs and I know what I want to mm. do. But actually to get to that end part, and I've seen it firsthand with a friend of mine who's starting a plus size line, I've seen how hard she has worked, how much money has gone into this just for five simple designs. Mm. And it's... Yeah, it's so much work for one person to undertake and I just don't think I'm quite there yet. And I wouldn't want to do it on my own. So I was just sort of like, okay, well, let's focus more on visual work. Um, I can then also choose what brands I work with. Maybe down the line I'll do that. Maybe give me give me five years or something to kind of get <laughs> Maybe they want to collab with you and you get to be in that position. Well, of, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's ideal. I'm trying to plan for a trip to the States at the moment because I do really want to do some collaborations with some brands over there who have reached out to me over the years. And I've always been like, I'll be there next year. And then I'm like, not there next year. Mm. So because <laughs> it's too expensive. So I have plans to do it, but it'll, I guess with starting my small business, I've sort of been like just... Mm. hustling away this year doing that which is why I've kind of stepped down a little bit from the um, modeling stuff that I was doing last year is because I've just been kind of hustling yeah (laughs) can you tell us about like what your breakdown of your different yeah, many so different hats is. I I'm a Gemini. Yeah, I have a creative business that basically covers everything I do. So I didn't really know what to call it. So it's just Laura Juve Creative because it covers everything. Um, but it basically covers photography, videography, makeup artistry, um, and any sort of modeling work I do, more influencer sort of stuff. Most, That's quite a lot. Can I just yeah, say? <laughs> yeah, mostly it's I get the first three. So mostly it's most of my work is photography makeup Mm. um, or a bit of video work um, which is what I've been doing a little bit more lately and I think they all tie in together really well so it's kind of it's exciting and also I guess I'm a person who really likes to be stimulated by different things every week so it can be I can have three makeup jobs one week I can have three shoots Mm. that week I can have a mixture of both or, or three or it it just means that I have a bigger to be honest, stream for invoices, which is kind of what I need, (laughs) to be totally honest. Yeah, and I think that's true with any freelancer. Like, you've got to have your hand in many pies because you've got to be able to, you know, pay your Yeah, we were saying just before, like, freelance, full-time freelancing is – so many people's dream but also mm. kind of the nightmare mm. oh, of what yeah. that Part actually of me looks is like, like in dreaming reality of like going back and like getting a job at Coles and just working and having an income that comes mm. in every week and a half two weeks and being like great but then I'm also thinking of how utterly devastated I felt when I did work in retail or in <laughs> hospitality and I'm like actually yeah the people who I work with know my heart's not in it so yeah, <laughs> yeah. which was a very awkward thing when I worked in hospitality I kept kind of being like, hey, sorry, I've got this art project to go to. Oh, sorry, I had this shoot this week. And they're like, do you really want to be here? I'm like, like, no. no, no, no not really. Well, this is not a tip-based economy. What do you economy, mean? What so. kind of ways if the 5 a.m. starts? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's been a... Been a journey, which feels good, actually. Hmm. And you just mentioned I really wanted to touch on the makeup, too, mm. because another aspect, again, of the super visual element of your work is like the interest in makeup and like even just color like Mm. when I was looking through all of your work 
and have looked through all of your work in the past, like the music videos and the makeup artistry, mm. you're so you embrace the color aspect so much. Thank Is you. it just all this internalizing outward like I want to be as bright and if I'm so. going to be there I'm going to be out there <laughs> I want to take up space possible. I want to be visible I want to also just I like color and I think as someone who is a self-proclaimed goth to a point <laughs> I feel like I am in this stage of my life where I'm experimenting with color and... can we just say Laura you're wearing the most colorful outfit today <laughs> <laughs> and you've got this beautiful like ready orange hair and like Hawaiian singlet it's very it's like goth on holiday. Yeah, it's what I am. That's what they call me. I was like ashamed of my body for such a long time and I wore a lot of black and yeah, through my teen years, that's all I kind of wore. So this is sort of, and it kind of started, I guess, when I was coming into my like queer identity, my femme identity and kind of realizing that I'm not only attracted to femininity in other people, but I'm attracted in femininity in myself mm. and that that's not something to feel is a weakness and so sort of to like initially it was pink I like reclaimed pink and was wearing pink everything all the time (laughs) I wanted to paint my house pink I wanted it to be like that pastel pink in um like sort of like Edward Scissorhand sort of style Mm. like dreamy sort of millennial pink now I refuse to call it (laughs) (laughs) because I was doing it before it was millennial pink (laughs) um yeah no it's it was that pink, but it was also hot pink. It was Barbie mm. pink. It was like reclaiming Barbie. So that was really important to me. And then I guess from then on, I kind of just always really loved color. And I kind of denied myself color for such a long time that I was like, okay, well, I guess this is something that I can actively put into my fashion choices as a way to also stand out and feel, and I feel cute. Like mm. I have this amazing green coat that like goes down to my ankles and I wear it all the time and I feel like I'm stared at wherever I go. But, you know, you get on the tram and you're like... I'm cute. Yeah. Like, I look great. Um, and grandmas seem to love it. So Yes. I, I feel like because grandmas manners, don't care yeah. anymore, right? And they have yeah. amazing outfits yeah. and amazing colours and patterns and clashing. Um, those people, there's like these older grannies in New York who have brightly coloured yes. hair and just their mm-hmm. wardrobes. So that, that's literally my future. Amazing. Like, I am working on my collection currently <laughs> to keep it until I am old. I feel like there's um, a particular kind of older woman who will have like their entire wardrobe is one color Mm -hmm. and I love seeing those kinds of women who like everything's purple but like slightly different shades of purple everything's green stunning love it (laughs) just have a lilac rinse yes exactly amazing do you feel like so you obviously love the makeup aspect Mm. that's only been in the last three years though I wasn't really that interested in makeup until a few years ago why is that I didn't know how to do it I Mm. thought I was really shit at it and turns out you just gotta practice a fuck ton Mm. also having really good quality stuff helps didn't realize I didn't Mm. buy expensive makeup for a really long time and as soon as I started buying more expensive palettes I was like oh Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, that it makes, makes things sense. easier. <laughs> and it looks better. <laughs> do you feel like, or do you ever worry, like I have this running conflict where I love makeup. I find experimenting with it fun and mm. I love like, as you say, like playing with the femininity mm. and it gives you kind of this embracing of identity. But then sometimes I really freak out internally. My feminist self is like, oh, am, I, am I like just, have I just fucked it? 
totally up and yeah. should I just be running for the hills and going full mm-hmm. naked mm-hmm. to the world this is me hello world this totally. is me that's the second time we've mentioned <laughs> that song in this podcast it's our theme song <laughs> <laughs> we need I to have, get the rights okay well I have a really weird story about the subtle club but that's for another time so <laughs> please uh, tell us <laughs> Uh, so basically, uh, my best friend in primary school's dad was a cinematographer for the Saddle Club, and then also I may have like met up with uh, one of the Saddle Club members in New York and yes, queer party with her. That's an amazing story. Yeah. <laughs> that's beautiful. I feel like everyone knows someone who was on the Saddle Club, but that's the best possible way. Thank this you. Yeah. I was like, "Is it really weird that I had a huge crush on you when I was ten? She's like, "You're not the first person to tell me." Actually, and I'm like, "You're just opening gay eyes everywhere." So. Was very cute. Um, what were we talking about? My, 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 my initial question <laughs> oh, that's was: right. Do you worry that fashion and makeup, so much of it relies on kind of drinking the cultural mm. Kool Aid around what mm-hmm. isn't isn't acceptable? And like, you can use it to rebel, and groups frequently do use it to rebel. But do you worry that almost like, am I part of the problem? Yeah. Like that I, yeah, I'm embracing it, and like, yeah, I look fucking hot and whatever, but. Like, I still spend an hour staring in front of the mirror at myself and my partner took five minutes because he's a male. What's wrong with me? I guess it's – it's. I have a very different kind of view of makeup and femininity in the sense that I've never dated men. I've never been attracted to men. Um, so they're not really on my radar and it's not really something I've ever had to really – I mean, I guess I did when I was, like, 13, but I – didn't really do makeup then or anything or wasn't really into I was kind of very much because I was friends with so many punks like punk girls Mm. they're all just like fuck boys whatever we don't need them we'll just listen to our cool bands and be like internally misogynist about shit (laughs) that's a much better system (laughs) yeah it was a time uh look We've grown up. We've all been there. there. We've all had the self-loathing in teenage years. So I guess it's like this really interesting thing where like reclamation of my own femininity was because it, from this really weird stance where I felt overdressed all the time because mm. so many of my queer friends or the people I was meeting when I was 19, 20 were all sort of more masculine of centre or more interested in dressing down, whereas I was like, no, I want to be dressed up yeah. all the time. I want to be colourful. I want to be bright. I want to be seen. I want to mm. look good. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's my interest in fashion and style. But, yeah, it, it was this interesting thing where I was reclaiming it because so many of the queer spaces I was in didn't see me as queer. They didn't mm. see me in my femininity. They didn't see me as legit. And so it was sort of a reclamation for me in that way to be able to be hyper femme and to have power with that and be like, no, I'm exactly the same amount of queer or gay or whatever as you are. Um, and I'm still strong in my femininity. However, I guess from your perspective, and I, again, grow up in the same society, so it's sort of this weird thing where it's like some days I will have that. Like I had that happen last week, actually. I went to help out a photographer on a Netflix show, and he was very well-renowned. That's awesome. Mm. Yeah, it was a great day, except he was an arsehole who has a huge ego. Oh. But, um, yeah, I won't well, be working him. with him again. <laughs> so that's why I'm talking about him like this on this podcast. Um, <laughs> fuck yes. <laughs> so he ignored me all day. He didn't ask me any single thing about my work, about me, about anything. His assistant did, who was also a man. So it just felt like it was a boys' club. So it was, And because oh. I guess I work with so many queer people and mostly women, I don't have that much interaction with men, mm. so I feel very blessed. Mm. But I also... But it's a rude shock when you're reminded. <laughs> yeah, mm. so I was like, oh, shit, of course I forgot because I have been in such a privileged world of my own 
I don't know your people making and my people it's I yeah it was definitely uh, kind of taken aback when I arrived because I just got my eyelashes done the other day I just got like my extensions last week mm-hmm. I got them done and then the next day I went on set and I was there at 7 30 in the morning and just like rocked up fully ready to go glowing feeling really cute and good and like strong in my own self and as soon as I got there I felt like the way he looked at me was like oh Oh, you're here. She's fat. She's very feminine. She probably doesn't know anything. I just immediately had those sort of sense of, like, you know that feeling yeah. when you see men and they look at you that particular way. Oh, yeah. It's very obvious. Yeah. Like, people and are trying to like, act Ugh. like it's not. They might as well have been totally. saying it out loud. And, the only, and, like, he didn't talk to me once or give me mm. any advice or anything all day. I got more from the production assistant who put me in touch with someone that she knows for future work than I did with him. And he's photographs majority of Australian media and like a lot of stars overseas and all this stuff, but clearly he's only nice to his talents. Mm. So I'm like, talk to your crew, maybe (laughs) be nice. Um, But it's also, I think that plays into the whole like industry, like film industry in Australia and it being such a boys club and it being so hard to break into it because it is such a hierarchy and you're expected to understand that hierarchy straight off the bat whereas that's not how I work and that's not how I've ever worked so um, well it's patriarchal like it's a very it's masculine approach it's mm. so it's like they just gate they're gatekeepers for the industry mm. so it totally makes sense why like we've there's only a certain like maybe one or two production companies in Melbourne at least that are creating interesting more diverse stories is mm. because of that gatekeeping I think but Anyway, that's a whole other topic. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, yeah, it's definitely, I think, something that I've thought about a lot in kind of being hyper-feminine and then also being online and having a public profile and having mm. men, you know, say shit to me or send shit to me. And um, thankfully, I think at this point, like, in the beginning, I got a lot of hate and I got a lot of men kind of coming at me. Or Actually, mostly it was men sexualizing me and then women, like thin women, saying shit to me. Now I get the, yeah, mostly thin women. And it's internalized, I believe. Mm. So I get it and I feel for them. um, So I never really take it out on them. But when men say it to me, I don't hold back and it's really comforting. (laughs) I've seen you talk about it and I know that unfortunately when you have such a visible profile Mm. it just fucking flocks to you Mm. you are probably one of the most positive people I've seen in response to that it doesn't like uh, almost from an outsider perspective I'd be like fuck it doesn't even bother her it doesn't at this point I think because again like I just the online world is such a different thing the only I really talk to like other queer women on Mm. Instagram they're the people who I follow they're the people who I interact with um if not it's like plus size community stuff so it's this weird thing where it's like cool oh you've come into this space that's like pretty safe and comfortable for me and I think I'm also I have a lot of privilege in that aspect as well because I'm white I don't get anywhere near as much hate as some like fat black women Mm. on Instagram for example I know a few who just get constant beratement and it's I'm just like amazed at how they like hold like stand through it and just kind of push it aside um and I guess initially it's still like it it's a pang I feel the pang of hurt but then I move on immediately because I'm like oh it's not my real life like you don't actually know anything about me so it doesn't really kind of get to me I Mm. guess Uh, I mean I feel like if I was younger as well like I'm 28 I like I'm pretty self secure in who I am and what I'm doing so I feel like have had I been a lot younger 
if I had been 17, 18 and getting that sort of mm. talk, it would probably be a different story. But I guess, um, yeah, being very sure of who I am and what my values are and all those sort of things, I'm sort of like, okay, look, I am immediately someone who's always going to think about things from every single aspect, from everyone else's aspect as well before I say something. So I guess that might be why I come across being like, I don't really care because I don't really care. I'm just sort of like, you've decided to spew that sentence on the internet. That was your choice. Mm. (laughs) Um, I'm not going to let it get to me today. Like I remember I like about a month ago, I got this email from this very kind person who said that my body looked like a refrigerator and that I looked like Ronald McDonald. That's why I wasn't getting any work from Fashion Nova which was hilarious because I had just been paid by Fashion Nova to promote their stuff for 10 posts and was clearly like reading this email, which definitely was like angered me. And I was like, what the fuck? Mostly I wasn't angry at what she was saying. I was angry that she pressed send. Mm. Like she read over that and then was like, yeah, no, I'm still going to send this. And so that kind of, I couldn't understand so that's mostly, I think, what angered me. And so I went on a whole Instagram story tirade about it, but was joking about it. It was just sort of like, this kind, absolutely darling person have done this to me. And she saw it and responded and, well, responded by email the next day and was like, hey, I just saw your post. Like, I've got all these people emailing me because I have beautiful, kind, wonderful women in my life who are just like, here are the reasons you don't do this. So you didn't censor the email? I didn't censor it at all. She sent it. She sent it and you know what? It was fine. And uh, she had I knew that like I had been sent by friends who are amazing academic feminists who had basically broken it down what she had done <laughs> why she shouldn't have done that and why she needs to look deep into herself it was like a teacher had scolded you um and I was like mm, I love my friends That's so <laughs> good. academically pull it together make it succinct and understandable for anybody to understand and then she was just like oh I got a few emails from people um which weren't very nice. I'm like, were they telling you uh, maybe don't send shit to strangers on the other side of the world? Because I found her, because I'm an IT nerd, I found her IP address. I found where she lived. Like she lived in Kansas City and I was just like, babe, why are you coming for me in Australia? (laughs) Like, honey. (laughs) But basically she had like some mental illness stuff going Mm. on and clearly I sensed that. It was just like something's going on. She's like, yeah, my ex-boyfriend used to call me a fridge and that my body was like really undesirable and all this stuff. I'm like, well, look, I can sense that and I sympathize with that. However, don't maybe send don't take it. take it out on you. Yeah, because yeah, I think she had some drug stuff going on as well. So oh I was gosh. like, okay, babe. It's sad. It's don't like, get high and go on the internet. Yeah. Just don't. A great piece of advice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I sometimes get high on the internet. It's a different kind of high. <laughs> and you probably do different things when yeah, you get on the internet usually high. Usually I'm listening to a nice podcast whilst I do it. You know, like, it's not to anger people. Not abusing strangers on the other side yeah. of the world. That seems healthy. I'm a bit busy. <laughs> Shall we, Laura, would you like to give us a shout out? Sisteria shout out. <laughs> Shout out is when we ask you to recommend something that you've been loving recently by a woman on non-binary creative. And it can be a book, a film, a TV show, a fashion label, mm-hmm. a song, whatever you want. And you can lay on a couple of recommendations on us. So tell us what you're into. Well, I was going to do like a podcast shout out and I was also going to do like a person shout out. Great. So That's podcast perfect. is Nancy podcast. If 
I don't know if either of you have yes to love it. Nancy Steph's oh, thumbs upping us from the booth amazing. love it love it I like I feel like I'm just waiting until the next episode airs every time it's got beautiful it's it's got gorgeous storytelling basically it's uh it shows all these really beautiful different queer stories so it's just really nice to hear reflections of different people's experiences um they have a lot of conversations with their parents which I find really nice because I guess like not going too deep into it we all have our very intense family scenarios Mm. and setups and all that sort of stuff and I guess as a queer person to be able to hear those hard conversations from a queer person to their parent and having their parent actively listen because it's in a podcast scenario it just creates this really beautiful kind of dialogue that isn't defensive or upsetting because you're actively listening to each other as Mm. opposed to in a general scenario of parent and child so yeah that that aspect I think is probably my favorite also just like they're funny and engaging and the two co-hosts are just like sweet people who I want to be friends with so Mm. it's like that's Ideal. the best thing in a podcast, isn't it? Like, <laughs> they've got great voices. Like, yeah, are your voices friends. are so important in podcasts and they've got great voices. Mm. Um, they had a really interesting one actually with um, Alexandra Billings recently who is um, an actor on Transparent who is amazing and hilarious and she just basically – they interview her about her life and she's so funny and they clearly have really good rapport. Um, and just the way that they check in with their – the people that they're interviewing as well and is just really refreshing and nice to kind of, you know, hear on camera. It's like, oh, can you tell us about this? But also, like, if you feel weird about it, don't worry about mm. it too much. Um, and they're just, like, very consent-focused, I guess, in their, the yeah, way beautiful. that they question and ask things for people, and that's really nice. That's beautiful. Yeah. Mm. So that's probably one of my main things. And then secondary is Person, who is this amazing stylist who I've worked with um, a little bit recently, who's, like, on the up-and-coming, and I think she's absolutely amazing. Her name's Ntombi Moyo. She is so talented. She has the most amazing, like, styling of things. She herself is a curvy babe. She's, like, amazing black woman who just, like knows what she wants, knows how to go after things, knows how to organize a shoot and like really understands checking in with other people and making sure it's a collaborative sort of piece to be a part of basically. Mm. And she's just a joy to work with. And I guess I just want to shout out her because she's been such an open-hearted person who has really like taken me on board in a bunch of projects recently and yeah she's just phenomenal is she based in melbourne yeah she's based in melbourne yeah beautiful so if you need styling for anything she is an amazing person to go for incredible thank you for joining us laura it's been such a pleasure to have you here Mm. no worries as you described just then for that podcast funny amazing entertaining is exactly how i would describe you so thank you (laughs) it was a privilege and a pleasure to have you i feel privileged and pleasure to be on your podcast too (laughs) thank you Sisteria, created by women and for anyone who wants to listen. Sisteria is supported by City of Melbourne in partnership with the Melbourne Library Service. Sisteria is produced by Stephanie Van Schilt and me, Jessica Lucchiano. For links to everything we've discussed, check out our website, sisteriapodcast.com. 
We're also on Facebook and Twitter at SisteriaPod. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And if you love what we do, we'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes too. Our amazing theme music is by Rainbow Chan. The song is called Blast and is available on her latest album, Spacings. Sisteria is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and to the elders of the lands this podcast reaches. We hope you tune in again soon.